we, there's all these stories of, you know, small pieces of open source infrastructure that are like, you know, running a significant uh, portion of like mission critical stuff in the world. And it's like one person who is making, you know, $30,000 a year and scraping by. And it's just like, that's crazy. There's, there's a huge, uh, you know, that we're really getting something wrong, I think, in, you know, in those situations. Welcome to The Open Source Economist, a podcast about the new economy of free software powering our lives. Brought to you by Christy Chirinos, product manager and entrepreneur. Can you both tell me a little bit about yourselves? Who are you? What do you do? Where are you? My name's Tom Wilmot. I'm the CEO of a company called Human Made. I'm based out in, Fran in northern France, actually, at the moment. Been here a couple of years now. Human Made, you know, which I guess listeners may or may not have heard of. I guess a company that's been, you know, we, I, I guess, a, kind of a big part of the open source kind of community um, and space uh, for the last 10 or so years. We're, we're in our 11th year um, uh, at the moment. Um, really focused on... Uh, taking the, the 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 finding that like nice balance between contributing uh, and being a part of kind of shaping the 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 core open source software and also like helping uh, companies uh, and clients like make the best use of it and so that's been a mix of like services work and some product work and things over the years I wanted to talk to Tom and Noel about the third business model for open source that I wanted to cover and that's the digital experience platform now I worked on something like this for about two years. I was the product manager for managed WooCommerce at Liquid Web, and we ran an open source software based e-commerce platform. So much like your traditional software as a service or SaaS product, you could sign up from the website by putting in your username and password and a couple of other pieces of information. And you would have everything available to you to launch your own online store. Now, the difference between something like this and, say, the market leader, which is Shopify, is that it completely leveraged open source software to create this cohesive experience. We're seeing this more and more in the open source software space and not just open source we're seeing the prioritization of platforms as being a positive experience for the people who use it, even across larger companies deploying proprietary software. I mentioned Shopify, but digital experience platforms have the attention of even the tech consulting giants like Gartner and Accenture. We're seeing it as the future of creating cohesive experiences and of bringing the previously offline business world online. Open source software can tend to have a cohesion problem. So the digital experience space is particularly interesting to us. Uh, my name is Noel Talk. Uh, so I'm a chief growth officer uh, at Humane and Altus together. Um, but I generally you know, run around all the things that are associated with product market fit, um, you know, on, on the product side, on the sales side, on the marketing side, partnerships. Uh, and I'm based out of uh, Zurich, Switzerland. Yeah, no, it was interesting. Uh, you know, I became um, 
much more popular all of a sudden I found within within the kind of uh, peer groups I was in people wanting to reach out and find out hey you're, you've been remote can you I need all your secrets <laughs> that was really nice I enjoyed a little like five minutes of fame of uh, everyone wanted me on their webinars and things <laughs> I have to admit I was one of those people anyway let's get back on track DXP so we're talking about the new business models that open source software has enabled. We've moved on from having simple buy something, sell it for more type business models. And we're seeing all kinds of innovation and different types of products come out. And one of those is the digital experience platform. And so I thought it would be really perfect to talk to you both about your work in the digital experience space, starting with what is it? DXP as a acronym, as a name of a platform. At the forefront of that, you have personalization and AI. Uh, you might have a degree of marketing automation. Uh, you have uh, a unification of like customer data and, and, and being able to track customer journeys and then being able to try and tie all these things together and, and push them um, you know, to, to market across many, many different channels. Okay, I asked for an example. If you have, um, let's say, a cake, and that cake is like a layer cake, and it's split out into all its little pieces and wedges, and you know one of them is the CMS, and you're you know you're storing content, you're 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 planning content, you're publishing content, and then at the top you you might be analyzing and measuring that content, and all of these things right now operate uh, in these kind of like vertical silos, right? And if you bring all those pieces together and you form a cake, that is what a DXP is trying to do. Now, the product that Tom and Noel specifically are working on is called Altus DXP. I thought that Altus would be a pretty good example of how a web publishing software like WordPress is going into the DXP space and how it's tying into open source. What we try to do is try to bring WordPress on a journey into that space, um, helping you know, users you know, get their feet wet with personalization, be it like uh, omni-channel, um, you know, um, experiences, uh, A-B testing to all these kind of different pieces without saying, you know, we're the expert in any. Here's what this sounds like to me, and I would love to know if it sounds right to you. This reminds me a little bit of when we first came out with the responsive web design right? And we had websites and then we were making this other completely different website that was mobile friendly. And then someone was like, what are we doing? What if we just had one website that you can see on your desktop and your phone? And it was like, right? Like we changed web development forever. And now we have that problem times 20 because now I interact with websites on my computer, but also my phone, but also I yell at Google every morning and I ask it questions, all of those things working together in the same way that we had responsive web design make a website and a mobile site work together. Is that right or is that too aggressive and oversimplification? No, I, I think that's a you know a good analogy. I think you know if 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 we have you know any kind of WordPress audience you know on you know or developers you know coming more from a more technical background, I think another way to look at this is that this you know we used to some developers back in the day at least you know I don't know like 18, 15 years ago would say you know I only write websites in pure clean HTML semantic code or whatever using a text editor, and nowadays. 
you have you're, you know you're juggling I don't know how many dependencies and JavaScript frameworks, and then working with all these extensions inside of uh, you know uh, Visual Code. The outcome is the same in many ways. That look, there's something being rendered on my phone, and somehow we've 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 come to the point where it's it, it's somehow taking that much more work and and effort, but in turn the experience that the consumer gets out of it is that much more seamless. All of that makes sense. I mentioned that the DXP isn't just an open source experience. This is something that technology giants all over the place are looking at. So we wanted to zoom in on specifically how DXP and open source are interacting. Here's Tom. Tying this to back to open source, one of the areas we've seen open source do well in, uh, you know, as as the market has kind of got shifted in the, in this kind of like broader digital experience direction and then got more complicated, open source is like delivering pretty good solutions to quite, you know, to a lot of the pieces and WordPress as the CMS is kind of an obvious example of that. Uh, and so, you, you know, the, the, there are many of these many companies who have this kind of homegrown DXP approach where they are assembling a bunch of these different open source pieces and they're bringing them together. But that has limitations too, right? That kind of asks quite a lot of the customer. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's why where some of these proprietary platforms have been able to do quite well is because they can kind of remove some of that complexity. But you lose a lot when you do that. You lose uh, the openness and the flexibility and you get locked in. And Alta centers WordPress instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think CMS, especially at the SME level, you know, web and CMS is still the majority use case, right? That a lot of SMEs are experimenting with some of these other channels and are doing some small things in these other channels or or medium things, but they're still kind of, they're, they're still often a kind of CMS centric view of that right they want to bring this stuff together with what they know well in on on the web and it's just missing some of the you know some of those key pieces like there's no you know wordpress itself is never going to have like native personalization functionality and yet that's something that you want quite deeply baked into the product experience personalization is a great example because we've essentially taken you know you know the the block now the gutenberg block is 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 sort of the, the, the the atomic unit of of wordpress and for us it's the experience block where you know we've we, it's a much more dynamic block in terms of, of being able to run personalization, do experimentation with it, uh, and, and really just have you know a, a living block in some ways. You know that that's that's very much a, a a step up for people who are familiar with WordPress but just don't really have the capability to jump into you know the deep end. You might be saying, okay, you know we have people coming in from this geographic region. We might have people coming in through this kind of refer. Um, and we want to be able to personalize traffic around those things. And, you know, these are things that we just, you know, provide out of the box. How would you explain to my mom what a DXP is? It's the, it's the marketing technology or software that, that allows brands and customers to interact in, in a more engaging way. You know, when you go on Netflix and it says, hey, you should watch this. And it somehow seems like you do want to watch that. And it's a nice personalized recommendation. Uh, it's kind of that. I don't know. I think it's it's largely revolving around personalization and and privacy and and the interaction between the two. And there's all sorts of like ways, you know, in the ad market in particular with the tracking and stuff where that's kind of creepy and we don't like it. But, you know, the flip side of that is there's lots of ways in which we really uh, expect that of companies. Right. We expect that when we phone them up, they can find our order and and uh, and talk to us about it. Right. You know, from a company's point of view, the Web team that 
receive that order and the telephone team that are dealing with your request, like it's actually pretty complicated to, to get to the point where their systems are talking and using the same data. Um, and so that's a lot of this DX stuff is around just ha ha you know, bringing that stuff together so that as a customer, you can have a really seamless experience, even though you're interacting with what are probably pretty different parts of the company and pretty different uh, products you know, behind the scenes. Okay, but what if your company doesn't have multiple departments for phone and email support? Does a DXP still make sense? Yeah, they definitely target SMEs in a big way, and it almost works better for, uh, especially like upper mid-market, mid-market um, for SMEs, uh, sorry, for um, these larger players like Adobe and Sitecore to kind of try to be the all-in-one stack. Um, for For larger companies, that's, extremely challenging um, to, to just own the entire stack because look, if, if Adobe Experience Manager was your CMS you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, that's great, that's fine. You're almost taking a best of breed approach then already. Um, and nowadays, if you're buying into the whole stack, you're basically giving away something that is so important, which is your whole kind of marketing stack in, in this digital world that we live in to a single uh, way of doing things. Like this is the architecture, this is what you're buying into. Uh, you're buying into the limitations of the entire platform. So if, if, if one of these players you know, acquired their, you know, their customer data platform or their customer journey orchestration uh, or their, their you know, document asset management, um, invariably one of these things is, is you know, one of these acquisitions May have come from a completely different space, you know. So Acquia, which we haven't mentioned yet or haven't spoken to or haven't spoken about, is is supposedly a, an open DXP um, and also a market leader in, in Gardner's Quadrant. Um, but I believe that I think it was the their customer data platform that they acquired was just massively focused around um, clothing and, and, and B two C uh, e commerce. Um, that's not going to apply to, to, to most of their customers otherwise. It, it's easy to look at industry analysts and think that there's 12 DXPs in the world. And really, the, you know, the, the beauty of where we are today is that when you're able to con construct your entire stack um, and you're able to put these pieces together, you have something that's much more diverse and speaks to your needs in a, in a much better way. I, I think the future of this of, of this DX landscape is really trying to be as open as possible. And it doesn't just mean you have, you know, API connections or, or you have an open API and you say, Hey, come build whatever you want. It's actively seeking out those, those partnerships and actively trying to create constellations that make sense for, uh, you know, for the client that's sitting in front of you. So in some ways that means that, you know, companies like ours don't have to just be in our little CMS box. Um, you know, CMS is the heritage. That's where we come from. We've grown into larger things. But you know, if if their thing is, hey, we need we need a, a solution for customer data that's just much more advanced. All right, we'll maybe talk to Segment, you know, or, or, or talk to Blue Shift or one of these companies, and then integrate that uh, with with the platform in a way that's seamless um, and it isn't just creating additional friction or additional work. And then the benefit of that is obviously. That you know, both or at least Blue Shift that I, I mentioned, then has you know very SaaS-oriented um, you know power user features. Okay, so a fully integrated experience that brings in high tech and the tech that we're already using into 
the hands of small to medium enterprises. What's not to love, right? Well, it turns out that there are some people that don't love the DXP concept. And again, we're seeing this all over the technology space, open source and not. But in open source, there can be a question of, hey, if we're integrating community-maintained open source software and we're putting it behind a platform, is that still open source? One of the business models that we've really seen spring up around open source is like you take the open source and you build some kind of SaaS or platform. If you remember, this is exactly what Josh Pollock was talking about when we discussed the commercial open source software model. And then because people are just paying to use it and that you're not distributing the code, the license doesn't come into, um, you know, doesn't come into effect. And so then you can have a bunch of proprietary innovation in your platform on top of that piece of open source and, and you don't, you know, you, customers are using it, but you're not having to give them access to it. By the way, according to the licenses that we covered in episode one, what Tom is talking about doesn't break any rules. It's pretty fair to say that that is rife within the WordPress space, right? All of the hosts and platforms are, uh, I've got a bunch of innovation that they've done on top of WordPress, whether that's stuff that they're doing to help WordPress scale or to cache or to, to what have you, you know, a lot of that uh, is, is, is not particularly shared um, or is not, not necessarily open source. Um, and I think that's true. You know, I think, I think there's a whole layer of that, like perhaps something we haven't really touched on, but I think you know, a core aspect of a DXP platform is that it is a cloud hosted platform, right? That, and that's one of the, one of the key, uh, you know, that's, that, that, that's kind of a key capability, I suppose, is that you're, you, you get this integration and seamless experience by having it all be part of one kind of platform. And so we face all of, all of that, you know, the, those same challenges. The, the second area that I'd highlight is really more of this kind of product innovation level so things like building out you know an ex a personalization feature you know most of the way digital this kind of like dxp or dx innovation uh is happening at the moment in the space is mostly agencies being paid to build that on top of wordpress for clients and that is also not you know that is not open source right most agencies are granting the ownership of what they build to their clients and their clients don't want to open source it and i think now you know shifting into this in, into building a platform, you know, I think that we really want to be leading the way in terms of like, well, what are all of these pieces that we're building in at the cloud layer and at the uh, personalization layer? And how can we take those and, and make them open source and like really as a company benefit from being able to kind of work in an, in a, uh, and collaborate with others to improve those things. Most of Altis and uh, at the, cl at the cloud layer and, and at the product layer is, is open sourced, you know, it's available on our GitHub and we're kind of, you know, I guess one of the challenges there is on the one hand, we're building a very integrated system. And then in, when we're open sourcing that, we're trying to say, okay, well, what does it mean to just take the personalization, the experience blocks feature and, and open source that piece so that someone could take that and maybe they, you know, they're going to integrate that into a different environment, into a different stack. So there's, there's limitations on that. You're, in, you're open sourcing pieces rather than the whole, because the whole would not actually be relevant to anybody else, right? It's only really relevant to our specific, for example, we're on AWS and uh, someone might want to use, to use experience blocks on, on Google Cloud. So it's kind of not, it's not necessarily as plug and play as, as it 
it could be. You know, I think we would really benefit from the fact that WordPress is open source, right? We can all just take that, uh, drop it on our servers, and we've got managed WordPress hosting, and the WordPress bits come for free. Uh, and I think that already there would it would be great to see more collaboration between like why not why haven't we just settled on like one caching approach and we're all just improving that. There's quite we could go quite a bit further up the stack than just WordPress and uh, and do that. You know, um, you know we're obviously trying to build a product, support a product that's growing, has a lot of asset, you know a lot of pieces to it. Um, trying to provide that in an integrated manner uh, to the market. And then trying to go to market in a way that we're, you know, trying to grow beyond WordPress also. Um, so, you know, I, th I think right now we, we certainly have out this out there in an open source manner, uh, but it's not necessarily open source in a way that, you know, drives the ecosystem. Like it's obviously we have to, you know, succeed with, with Altus in, in, in many ways and, and demonstrate its own success in the market uh, before we can, you know, take a lot of, you know, this, open source ethos with us in, in, in a much more, you know, uh, customer facing manner, I, I guess, or the de developer facing manner in some ways uh, to just open that up. Um, you know, we, we fully believe in that, but at the same time, there are just complexities, you know, like we, you are running, uh, you know, various machine learning cloud services in the back end. you are tying a lot of uh, different services together. And like Tom mentioned, you know, like, it's not just plugging into AWS, it's plugging into a, a multitude of services all over the place. And we simplify that, um, but it's, it, it is hard to, you know, at the very same time that we're trying to solve a very particular need in the market to also build um, what is truly considered open source. The ethos puts a certain thing forward, but I also question whether these components of Altus do ever have to be open source. Personally, I don't really think that the way open source business models currently exist right now is going to be long-term sustainable. You know, one of the, I think one of the great disconnects in open source, right, is you've got a lot of uh, businesses using open source and benefiting from it a huge amount and really not paying anything for that, you know, or paying very little for it. Um, and then you've got a bunch of people who are, you know, contributing to that open source uh, and, and uh, you know, really need the support. The, the, the opportunities I'm most interested in are, are, are around how you can better align those two things, right? If we've got a client who is um, interested in improving some aspect of WordPress for themselves, and that's going to be really valuable to them, and they're willing to spend some money on doing that, how do we do that in a way which, you know, really benefits the open source project and the people who are contributing back? And so, you know, I think where, where we've had instances of clients who are, you know, kind of even actively kind of want some of the work they're doing to, uh, to, be, to, be, to be kind of happening in that open source space and be, be done in such a way where they are supporting or contributing. Like, I think that there is, it feels like we are barely scratching the surface of that, you know? It's massively in our interest, right, for this to be sustainable because we benefit hugely from open source. Um, and uh, I think we're starting to see, uh, you know, we, we, we have clients who think like that too. And so I think that's, uh, you know, that, that's really great. Um, a lot of this is still very, just two completely different worlds, right? Like the open source world are quite disconnected from the business world and the business world has no idea that this open source world 
is a bunch of people who could really do with, uh, you know, uh, being paid. We, there's all these stories of, you know, small pieces of open source infrastructure that are like, you know, running a significant uh, portion of like mission critical stuff in the world. And it's like one person who is making, you know, $30,000 a year and scraping by. And it's just like, that's crazy. There's, there's a huge, uh, you know, that the, we're really getting something wrong, I think, in, you know, in those situations. In many open source communities, this topic can get pretty heated and pretty controversial. But for me, as a member of an open source community, and also as someone who can take off that hat and put on a managerial and academic hat, we do have answers to these problems. In strategic management, we think a lot about business risks. Now, business risk can come in all shapes and forms. It can be something as simple as your main suppliers raising their prices, or it can be something as catastrophic and out of your control as the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, business risks also come in other things in between. For example, further regulation or being over-reliant on certain products or certain suppliers. When it comes to open source, Understanding the business risk can be the first step to quantifying it and then seeing how a corporate entity can put money and resources back into the business risk and the dependency they're using. However, there is one blocker to this and it's, do you know the problem? No, I, you know, honestly, I think a lot of businesses don't even, re you know, if they realize the risk that like, hey, you know, th this this piece of thing that you're really relying on could disappear because it's like one person who's near the end of their tether who's maintaining it. They don't even realize that, you know, so they're not even then it's not like they're taking the decision not to support that. They don't even know. And they would actually be freaked out if they realized and would and would, you know, be pretty motivated to do something about it in a lot of cases, I think. Now, of course, the understanding varies widely from company to company and industry to industry. For managers and business owners that are concerned about this problem, a great place to start is by asking your employees what they're using. And another great place to start is by following the example of companies that are more embedded in the open source space, especially larger companies that have had to pivot towards paying attention to open source. I was particularly interested in asking Tom and Noel about that. Uh, Siemens is a, is, is, a, is a great client of ours and you know we really love working with them. I think it's one of these clients that surprises you to a certain extent because they're such an old company and such a large company. I mean, they're doing 100 million, 100 billion, sorry, a, a year in revenues. And you know to, to work with them and to work with such an agile, um, kind of new school, you know, like uh, approach to everything. Um, and to also at the same time, watch a company go through such massive digital transformation. You know, I think a couple of years or decades ago, they realized, you know, this, this next le level of technology um, in terms of, you know, digital uh, is, is going to take over. So they've, you know, they've gotten into a digital twin, they've gotten into smarter cities, um, all these kind of things where, you know, they're quite bold and ambitious plans, but they're really, really drive you know pushing the needle there in this case uh we've you know we we proposed to them working on an authorship uh plugin that then allows um you know posts to have multiple authors to have guest authors all these kind of things 
And now we have a GitHub page that says, you know, we've built this together with Siemens and their logo is on there too. From their side, there wasn't any kind of, what's the return on investment? You know, what is this going to do for us? Um, just, you know, a lot of, I'd say confidence, you know, in terms of what this means and, and you know, what, what, what shape this has and, and you know, what, what possibilities this has for the business at large without having to necessarily like peg a line item against it, you know, in terms of revenue attribution next year, you know, they had, they naturally have their confidence to, to know, okay, good things will come out of this, uh, which that, which I think is generally, you know, the open source way of things like you, you want something to come out of it uh, because you might invest a lot of the, the, your time into it. If it's significant or, or money in this case, because someone's asking for budget from someone else. Um, and yeah, it's just really amazing um, to, to be able to, you know, have a company uh, support us like that. Uh, and we've had Google support us before with uh, sitemaps, uh, which made it into core. Uh, but in, you know, in the case of Siemens, like that's you know, just a, a really great story. These are one of the things where, you know, we'd love to be able to bring the learnings we've had here, which is not only asking the customer, hey, you want to pay for this, but how does this look like contractually? How do you actually, you know, try to sell this to not only your, your internal champion, which is probably on board already, but then up the line too, in terms of, you know, how, how do you sell to middle management or upper management? How do you sell that to upper management? I mean, Siemens is a, is, 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 is a leader in the market, right? They, 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 they don't have to react. Um, they, they can lead and uh, drive change on their own terms in many ways. Uh, which I think also gives them the confidence to be able to, you know, in, in this particular team, um, you know, to, to, to say, okay, this is a smaller investment and that's probably a great place to start, right? And I think that's, you know, WordPress's success story in many cases around enterprise. You know, you start with a foot in the door, company kind of realizes, hey, this isn't so bad after all, uh, and then it kind of expands. And I think, you know, these kind of initiatives go the same way. You know, a lot of the times I'm, talking to companies about this and I'd almost you know this kind of open source in the kind of co con you know we're all collaborating on this on this code and sharing it um and then you know the kind of the community even around WordPress right where we're not just doing that with code actually we're all kind of collaborating with each other and sharing a lot of what we're doing and learning from each other and just like a, in a lot of the business world that's quite alien you know? um and so I find just you know, starting to talk about and kind of demonstrate even, you know, perhaps pull people to come along to a couple of WordCamps or to a meetup. And, and, and like once once people really start to see the like the, the just how much you get back in return for what you give ultimately. Right. Um, uh, you know, that that really starts to set off some magic. And so, you know, I, I enjoy seeing that when, when it's code and, you know, people realizing like, well, we, we lose nothing by sharing this authorship feature. Everybody keeps saying that technology is moving so fast that we're going to really struggle to keep up with it. And well, the way that we keep up with it is we realize that we're not repeating work, right? That technology is moving fast because we're building on top of other people's work and we need to identify that process and make it sustainable. Okay, now, surely you didn't think that I was going to do a three-part series on the business models of open source and not address the obvious and oldest one, which is consulting. We talked about it in part one, part two, and part three as it feeds and originates most of what we're talking about. HumanMade is a very long-standing consulting company, and I thought Tom and Noel would be great to give us some final insight 
into how they've experienced consulting and how they're experiencing today's boom in alternative business models. I guess it's kind of a couple of different change, you know, changes that we're seeing, shifts that we're seeing. I think one is really tied to just the, you know, call it kind of the platform innovation, right, that we're seeing within, within WordPress that Gutenberg and full site editing and just all of that's going to mean in terms of theme shifting and um, I mean, we've been through several of these cycles uh, in WordPress now. The REST API was another one, um, and that that you know when when the platform innovates and changes like that, that really materially impacts you know the consulting world, the the agency world, the freelancer world. Perhaps they you know you built businesses around building themes in a certain way, and now suddenly there's a new way of doing it. You've got to learn JavaScript deeply, and you know uh, um, uh, so you know I see. You know, we're, we're in the midst of one of the biggest ones at the moment with Gutenberg. Um, and that's, you know, I think going to, going to, uh, going to, going to get larger with, with, when, with full site editing and kind of all of, all of, all that that's going to mean, you know, this is like a real sea change in, uh, in, you know, just w- w- what, what are the capabilities that, that the platform now has? How can you add value on top? You know, whereas before, uh, people needed to hire a freelancer in order to build a page layout. Maybe now they can do it themselves. So what does that mean to you? You really have to Im- try and embrace it and, and uh, look for the opportunities to, you know, to understand, well, how does this change the space? You know, ultimately we're there for our customers and this is going to give our customers a bunch of new capabilities. How do we continue to add value on top of that? Um, you know, I think, the the I see I see a, a kind of a, a segment of the space uh, you know being quite resistant to that you know to Gutenberg I'm going to install classic press on all of my client sites uh, or, or or what have you you know I think that that's ultimately unsustainable and that you uh, you know you're you're uh, the the quicker that you can uh, that you can kind of learn the new thing and figure out how to add value on top of it and and I'm I'm you know super confident there, that there are plenty of ways, you know, I don't think any of this is going away. It's just changing. Um, uh, so yeah, I think that's, you know, that's one whole area and that, you know, that's part of the challenge of being a consultant alongside a platform that you don't really control, right. Is it can change and swipe your feet from under you at any moment. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like back in the day, like the, the, the WordPress was the CMS WordPress was the brand. It was the thing that was exposed to the customer. It was the solution we sold. Right, in many ways, and and now it feels like that just has become a tool that's just you know in, in a much larger ocean of many other tools. And if you want to be someone in that space that is adding value as opposed to you know subtracting value because you're just causing friction because you're staying in your little silo and you're saying, well, I'm responsible for CMS and I just do WordPress, and yeah, that other tool is 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 not integrating with us and. You know, not playing nice, or you know, I refuse to look beyond my my own bubble or silo. Um, I think you're gonna have a really hard time, and that doesn't represent the the best in you know best of breed kind of approach. Where I think all vendors need this bit of overlap, where you have a really good understanding of adjacent technologies, so that you're able to understand not only how does WordPress work, but how does WordPress interact with these different pieces, and how does value flow between these different pieces in a way that then. Uh, generates positive outcomes for uh, for your client. Like the way that you continue to add value is by figuring out the you know what, what the challenges that your customers are facing and understanding how WordPress and the site you're building, whether that's with Gutenberg or or a, a page builder, 
you know, how, how that's going to integrate into what it is and, and I'll you know, them to achieve whatever they're going to achieve. And that, you know, you are, there's plenty, companies still need plenty of help with all of that. Um, and, you know, um, WordPress, I think will, you know, a lot of WordPress's growth, I think, you know, I see all the opportunity for WordPress to continue growing is by, uh, you know, the more people who can uh, confidently speak at that level and bring WordPress with them, the better. You know, I think we're, we're the we're going to need to break out of the portion of the market that already knows they want WordPress, um, which you know we certainly still see at the enterprise level. That is by far and away still the 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 status quo, right? Is it takes a company already kind of discovering WordPress and falling in love with it. Often, uh, you know, they've used it somewhere else, or they're you know the soccer team they manage at the weekend uses it or something and then they kind of evangelize that internally and that is what motivates them to do the work to understand the space and put all these pieces together um and the um you know i mean wow is there an opportunity to to uh you know for us to push ourselves out of that well noel tom thank you so much where can we find you i'm at tom wilmot on twitter you know just reach out to us on you know you know, uh, Noel or uh, Tom at uh, altis-dxp.com. You know, and we're always happy to chat. Thank you for listening. Learn how to support the Open Source Economist at opensourceeconomist.com. Even a monthly $5 contribution helps and gets you access to full, unedited interviews with our guests. This podcast was edited by Ali Nimmons. Thank you to Alice Young for creating our designs and to Chris Lemma for supporting our publishing costs. And of course, thank you to our individual contributors for helping us create this podcast. Have questions or feedback? Send them to email at christychirinos.com.